Hello to everyone. This is Dr. Stephanie D. Barnes, and I want to welcome you to Conversations from the C-Suite. You know, we're going to begin our broadcast shortly. But as always, I want to ask you to take a few minutes to share this out to your network because we're going to have a great conversation and we don't want to have a conversation by ourselves. So make sure that you invoke the power of three. Make sure that you share this out with at least three people or at least three groups because we want to have people a part of this conversation. So I'm going to take a few minutes to do that myself and then we will get the get this party started. It's a party with a purpose. But let's take a moment and share it out because this is a great day for a great conversation. So I'm going to take a few minutes to share it out myself and I'll be back. So hang tight and invite. Well, all right, everyone, welcome, welcome, welcome to Conversations from the C-Suite, the Girlfriend's Guide to Being a CEO. I am your host, Dr. Stephanie D. Barnes, CEO of C-Suite Women's Network, where I help women and a few good men to be the CEOs of their lives. Because, you know, every woman needs to be the CEO of her life. She needs to have a seat at the table because there is power when women gather, because not only will that woman have a seat at the table, she'll be able to create a seat for others. And, you know, Conversations from the C-Suite is a power pack hour where we give women a platform to talk about the real things that real CEOs deal with, because we know that life doesn't end when we leave the office. We want women to elevate their mindsets and compel them to take action because CEOs don't just wait on great things to happen. They make great things happen. Now, you know, the C-suite is typically in a company where all of the decisions are made. But you know what? Your life has a C-suite, too. It's where you make the decisions to create the life you desire and deserve. And the chief executive officer, just like the name says, works on getting things done, executes, comes up with an idea, develops a strategy, works with the team to inspire them to execute the goal. And you may be in different places on your CEO journey. You may be a CEO on the rise. You're just getting started. You may be thinking about being the CEO of your life. You are a CEO on the rise. You may be a CEO on the move. You 
You've begun this journey. You've committed to becoming a CEO and you're just taking it step by step by step until you get to your C-suite. And you may indeed be a CEO. But here's something that you have to remember about CEOs. You can always upgrade. I want to reflect on the saying, you know, how can you upgrade number one? You upgrade number one because even though you're at the pinnacle of your game, number two is trying to get to number one. So you can always take it higher. So here at Conversations from the C-Suite, the Girlfriend's Guide to Being a CEO, we have the powerful conversations that help you to feel something, learn something, but most of all, do something. We want you to make those CEO moves. When you make the CEO moves, you create a circle of influence, you educate, empower, and elevate yourself. And you operationalize what you learn so that you can optimize your outcome. So this is indeed a conversation. So get ready to be a part of the conversation. Whether you report to a CEO or you are the CEO of your own company, you are the CEO of your life. So let's get ready to talk about some strategies that will help you to capitalize on your most powerful asset the power of choice, the power to create extraordinary outcomes in your business and your life. So are you ready? Well, I'm ready. I'm, I stay ready so I don't have to get ready when it comes to having those conversations from the C-suite because I don't know about you, but I want to be in the C-suite of my life. So Tonight's episode is marks a transition. Over the past few episodes, we have been spending time focusing on finances, helping women CEOs to be able to make those money moves. We talked about from the beginning, just having that CEO or CFO, chief financial officer mindset so that you have a healthy relationship with money from your mindset all the way up until your practices. We've talked about different skill sets that will help you to make good decisions about mess. You know, don't get caught up in those D's where you are able to deal with death, disability and divorce. Don't let mom and them take taking care of mom and them take you out. Looking at strategies for elder care. And we ended the last episode with the very important topic of financial abuse, which is a great segue into tonight's topic, as well as the beginning of our relationship series. Because, you know, as a CEO, we can't do anything without our relationships. And of course, we have personal relationships, we have professional relationships, and our relationships serve us in so many different capacities which is why over the next few episodes, we're going to take a hard look at relationships because being a CEO means working with a great team. So we've got, in order to have a great team work, you've got to have at the heart of it, a great relationship. So we're going to segue from our series on finances into relationships with a very poignant topic that really picks up where we left off or accentuates where we left off with our financial series episode where we looked at the issues of financial abuse. 
where we explored the topic of when financial practices are more than just bad financial habits, but actually harmful habits that were intended to cause harm and intended to cause abuse and another form of domestic abuse. So now we're going to focus into the full-fledged discussion of domestic violence and how it affects our, the very heart of our relationships because we know that our personal relationships influence our professional relationships. And if we are in an unhealthy personal relationship, it is ultimately going to impact and impair what we're able to do in the workplace and in the marketplace. It's going, its influence is going to travel with us to our C-suite. So tonight we're going to focus on domestic violence. And of course, we are in the month of October where domestic violence is highlighted. But y'all, this is not something that just happens in the month of October. We talk about it and highlight it and, and raise awareness around it in the month of October. But this is a reality that many women and men, but we're focused on, on women in, in the C-suite, in conversations from the C-suite, but many people face every day. So, you know, love shouldn't hurt. But what do we do when the one who loves you hurts you? You know, this powerful kickoff of this series on relationships, we're going to address the issues of domestic violence and abuse in relationships. And y'all, this isn't a pretty conversation, but it is a powerful conversation. And I'm going to start off with reading some statistics, because one of the things that I like to do is I always like to ground my conversations in facts and help us to give great information that helps us to educate ourselves so we know what we need to do. So, you know, when I was researching for this show and refreshing my familiarity with domestic violence, I mean, I was just simply startled by the statistics. So I'm going to share some of them with you to put all of this in context. And then I'm going to bring to you a powerhouse guest tonight who is going to not only help to educate us, on this very important topic, but inspire us through her powerful story of how she overcame domestic violence, domestic abuse to be the powerhouse that she is. So, you know, here's some statistics on domestic violence. More than one in three women, 35.6%, and more than one in four men, 28.5% in the U.S., have experienced rape, physical violence, or stalking by an intimate partner in their lifetime. So y'all, this isn't something that's happening way across the country, way across the world, or in somebody else's neighborhood. Y'all, this is happening in our very own neighborhood, one in three. That means if you're sitting in the car with four of your girlfriends, one in three of them, uh, at least one of them is impacted by domestic violence. So this is not something that is just a rare occurrence. There are an estimated 1.3 million victims, women who are victims of physical assault by an intimate partner each year. And even though this does affect men and women, 85% of domestic violence women, I mean, domestic violence victims are women. And historically, those women who have experienced 
physical violence or domestic violence of some kind, it's always been or has been typically by someone that they know. And this is more of a risk for women who are between the ages of 20 to 24. They're at the greatest risk of non-fatal intimate partner violence. And, you know, we're beginning to see this creep into even the younger ages where high school girls are affected by this as well. And the sad thing is the reason that this or one of the contributing factors that uh, this remains such a an issue in our society is most cases of domestic violence are not reported to the police. And there are various reasons for that, but we know it carries a stigma. We know that sometimes uh, these cases are not taken seriously. And it just, and we've seen, you know, discussions in the, in the um, media recently around how these types of issues are taken when they are brought to the surface. So, you know, I've got some other statistics that I want to share and we'll, we'll come back to some of those as we go throughout the show. But I have an awesome guest who is waiting in the lobby and I don't want to have her waiting any longer because she will be able to add a lot of great um, context and just inspiration around this whole topic. So y'all, I have waiting for you in the lobby, none other than Christy Pickering. And I had the joy and pleasure of meeting her what, two years ago at a conference um, in, in Biloxi and was just so inspired and awed by her story and had a chance to get to meet her then, had a chance to reconnect with her recently and so glad to have the honor of having her in the C-suite tonight. So let me just tell you a little bit about Christy. Christy it has her bachelor's degree in accounting. So she has a CPA, has had her CPA practice for over 25 years. And over the past 16 years, she served in various leadership capacities. She's a director, she served as a director in the Hancock Holding Company, a director for Mississippi Power Company, and in 2008, Governor Haley Barber appointed her to the state college board, the institutions of higher learning to oversee the eight state universities in Mississippi. She has worked with Title IX coordinators to implement the new changes mandated by Violence Against Women Act. Well, I, I hope to hear a little bit more about that when we bring her on there. But that work, along with her firsthand knowledge from living in an abusive relationship for 21 years has led her to the point where she feels compelled to share her stories. And she believes that girl, you deserve better. So without any further ado, I want to bring to the virtual stage, none other than Christy Pickering. Hi, Christy. Hi, Stephanie. Thanks for having me on the show. Yes, I'm so glad that you were able to join us today. It took took us a, a a couple of different tries to get some some dates that work for your busy schedule, but it worked out perfectly. And I'm so honored that you are here. With I'm honored that you asked me. Yes, yes, because uh, we were on a panel together. I guess you yeah, had panel together two years ago, and so uh, it was in that context that I first learned about her story and just have had a chance to get to know her. Uh, since then, and so so glad to have you here today. Thank you. So, in the, when we invite um, guests to the C suite, we always begin with the who, 
the what and the why. So I've shared a little bit about you, but we want to know who's the real Christy Pickering. So tell us who you are, what you do, and why you make CEO moves. Okay. Well, you said a little bit about my background on board, so I won't go there. But I have had my accounting practice um, for many years. And I, when I first did that, that was the biggest step, scariest step I ever took. You know, <laughs> stepping out and opening your own business, that was a little scary. But it was a wonderful move for me financially and professionally. And, uh, but uh, what, what my real message about is about, and that's why I'm here today with you or tonight with you, is to share my story because my real passion and my real purpose is to talk about how I was involved in a 21-year marriage that was abusive, and I finally got out and got happy and healthy. And now, for the past four years, I've been sharing my story with young women, and you said that, Stephanie. I mean, it is really those younger women that don't know what they don't know, like I didn't. Mm -hmm. and, and I want them to know now what I learned and not step in the potholes that I stepped in and not make the mistakes I've made. Mm -hmm. And I'm comfortable enough finally sharing my story. I thought those guys on the board, because this one board that I'm on, Hancock, it's Hancock Holding Company, have now changed to Hancock Whitney Company. But I've been a director for 18 years. And for 18 years, I was the only female on that board until just recently mm -hmm. when they named me corporate governance and nominating chair. And then I put two more women on the board. But <laughs> Let me just put a, pause, put, you, put a pause in that. You see, when women get a seat at the table, what do they do? Bring other women to the table. You made that seal move. I'm going to give you a virtual high five. <laughs> but go ahead. <laughs> yep. Yep, I knew what they needed and we did it. And I'm very proud of that. And there have been wonderful additions to the board. But uh, the big fear that I had about finding, even after I got happy and healthy, about opening up about my story mm -hmm. was that these men would think that I was weak, mm -hmm. that I had allowed myself to be abused for 21 years. And I have to tell everyone listening that that has been quite the opposite. These mm -hmm. strong, smart um, men have read my story now mm -hmm. and are more proud of me than ever. Mm -hmm. And so, so don't, one of my, one of the things I'm telling people is don't be afraid to tell your story. Mm -hmm. it, it, it is scary at first. Mm -hmm. and, and it was scary in my own community to admit some of that, but you know what? It's been so wonderful. Everybody's been so supportive. And mm -hmm. if you tell your story, you help other people tell their story. Mm -hmm. Evil dies in the light. Yes. And, you know, yeah. And, and, you know, that's something that has been a continuous theme throughout uh, even this show is the power in your story. Because, you know, a lot of times, like you say, we will we will hold our story in thinking, you know, that we should be ashamed of it or that people are going to look at us differently. But there is power in sharing your story because not only do you empower others, but you I think take back power over the things that have happened to you. You take back power over the narrative and you get to shape your narrative in your words and in your terms. And you know that not only empowers you, but it it shares with other women and other men or women or other people for that matter that hey, you know what? If she can do it in this context, then I can do it in this context. Or even those, like you said, who 
once you've told your story as it relates to domestic violence and the things that you've overcome is help them to gain power to do something about their situation. So I just want to commend you. Thank you. Give you a virtual round of applause and just celebrate you. And well, celebrate that and, and, you know, I found uh, two other things about it. The, the one important thing for me was that, um, and I really had started these speeches towards younger women, right? Mm -hmm. But I'd be at universities and there was always at least one faculty member who would come up to me, someone more my age, who would come up and say, look, I went through abuse too, but I've never talked about it. Mm -hmm. And now that I hear you talk about it, I'm thinking maybe I should. Yeah. And maybe I should. And the more we share, mm -hmm. the more people feel comfortable, the more it comes out from behind closed doors and we shine a light on it. But the other thing is, is that it helped me. You were just saying mm -hmm. uh, abuse changes you in so many ways and you don't realize it because it happens mm -hmm. slowly over time. Mm -hmm. And I have to tell you this story. When I finally wrote my book, I thought I was good because I'd been through therapy. I'd been with my new sweet husband for 12 years and I was happy mm -hmm. and healthy. So I thought I was good. Mm -hmm. And when I started writing the book, about halfway in, my husband says to me one night, he grabs me and gives me a huge hug. And he said, baby, he said, I'm so glad you're writing the book. And I said, I know you are, honey. Yes, you've been very supportive and kind of nudging me along. And he said, I don't think you understand. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, you know, you're finally reaching towards me. Mm -hmm. And I geared up and I thought, oh, my gosh. And I looked at him. I said, well, then why did you stay for 12 years? He said, I knew you had it in you. He said, and I really, I didn't know I was that controlled that even 12 years after leaving my ex-abuser, mm -hmm. that I still wasn't reaching to this wonderful, sweet, kind me. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Right. And, and you know, it's, uh, it's so freeing to, to share your story and just to, um, again, like you say, bring it to the light. Mm -hmm. Because then you're able to shed light more on things that you had put in the dark right you know and 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 uh, again it inspires others to 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 do that as well so again i just uh thank you so much and celebrate you for having that courage and uh, i keep using that word <laughs> there, there's a reason uh because her book is actually entitled let me pull it up here it's actually entitled courage uh, because it took courage for her to make that change and uh, and that is what she continues to exude every day. Thank you. And I have to give a shout out to my dear friend, Marie. I was going to call it the girl you deserve better, like my message, you know, to the universities. Mm -hmm. And she called me after she had read the, the, the early version. And she said, I have the I have the title. And she said, I have the picture. And I, and I was like, well, that, that sounds kind of braggadocious. She said, no, it's not. Mm -hmm. She said, listen, it did take courage. And it took her to make tell me that, to name yeah. that. But she was right. It was the right name. <laughs> right. Right. Because, you know, one of the things you share and uh, about, you know, that you were in this relationship for 21 years and, you know, because for a lot of people on the outside looking in, you know, the question, you know, comes up often like, you know, well, why do women stay? Why won't they just why? You know, if it were me, I just, you know, people kind of, you know, um, have all of these assumptions around you know, why women stay, why don't they, and, and kind of in a judgmental way. Kind of, yes. That question. You know, well, well, why does she stay, you know, like in yours, why does she stay for 21 years? Why didn't she just leave? Why, you know, can, so can you speak to that, just kind of 
helping people to understand the dynamics Absolutely. that in many ways trap women, sometimes physically, that's what we talked about. Uh, and as we talked about on the last episode, financially, mm-hmm. trap them financially into staying in this situation. And then there are the mental aspects as well. Oh, yeah. There's the psychological abuse where they make them think they're not worth anything and that no one would have them. You know, there's also fear. You mm-hmm. know, um, uh, what I didn't understand until I got through my divorce and started getting healthy again is the actual definition of abuse. Right? Mm-hmm. So for abuse to be present, if, if you and I were having an argument and you weren't afraid of me and I'm not afraid of you, that's just an argument. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But let's say I'm a big, bad, mean person. It's scary. And mm-hmm. we have an argument and I know you're afraid of me. Then then, you know, that's I'm using an abuse of power. Mm-hmm. Right. So right. that's abuse. And and what people don't understand is that abusers are not stupid. They're smart. Mm-hmm. And they they pull you in slowly. At first they use you know, it looks like they're just being sweet to you. For mm-hmm. example, my ex-husband and I met in college. Mm-hmm. And he started following me, taking me to class. And when I was finished, being right there afterwards to take me back. And he always wanted to know where I was. Mm -hmm. And I thought he was just being sweet. Mm -hmm. Later, I realized that he was controlling my movements. So, but as that, as those things stop working, abusers will then use different tactics. Mm -hmm. And so they progress. Mm-hmm. And the verbal abuse came, mm-hmm. you know, then the psychological abuse came, then the financial abuse came and then the physical abuse came. It just kept escalating. Mm-hmm. But I use this analogy. OK, what people don't understand is it's like if you have a pot of boiling water mm-hmm. and you throw a frog in it. OK, that frog's not dumb. He knows it's boiling water. He's going to jump out. Right. Right. But if you stick a frog in a pot of boiling water and you let it warm up slowly over time, that mm-hmm. frog gets used to it mm-hmm. and and they just stay. Mm-hmm. And that's what happens is you you learn to take right or wrong more and more abuse. Mm-hmm. You know, and plus the fear for I fell out of love ten years in. I was married for twenty one years, but mm-hmm. he had told me he would kill me and that I would never get the children. So. That fear kept me for a long, long time. Right, right. And, you know, and, and, and you bring up just such a great point that a lot of people don't fully appreciate, uh, you know, is when children are involved, you know, mothers are going to do what they can to protect their children. Absolutely. And, and you know, um, and sometimes it's, it's like you say, out of that fear of, you know, I can get myself in a better situation, but what is this going to, how is this going to affect my children, you know, and then uh, also trying to protect them from uh, the abuse uh, within the home as well. But, you know, this is, this is such an issue that, um, because we had Dr. Cosette White, who was our um, speaker on my guest last episode. She's also a domestic violence survivor. And, and, you know, one of the things that she talked about uh, that, you know, often happens, and you, you've touched upon this too, is that many times, you know, because sometimes we will paint a stereotype of what a domestic violence um, victim looks like, you know, and, 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 and think of her uh, as someone who has no power else, uh, otherwise. But, you know, oftentimes it's at, it, it is also women who are have power outside of the home. They're otherwise successful in the community. 
Um, and out in the community, everything looks perfect, everything, you know, they, and they're able to exert that power, you know, in, the, in their careers and, and in other organizations. But then when they come home, you know, it's a totally different thing. Right. So you know, this is this is a, a something that, you know, is it happens to women across the board. And uh, it's the psychological impact that sometimes is, is stronger than even some of the other aspects of, um, of, of, of abuse. Right. And, and the other thing is, I, I want to add this, People, what, it, what I didn't understand uh, about abuse, I didn't even know what abuse was until I got out and got happy and healthy. But I, I, I would attribute abuse in my head to physical abuse, right? <laughs> yeah. But fit, mental ab- uh, psychological abuse and verbal abuse <sighs> is just as damaging, maybe more damaging, because when you go out into the public, because when I left my Mm ex-husband, I had someone in the community tell me that that they thought we were like Barbie and Ken. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And and I'm thinking, the problem was, I didn't have bruises to show. Not that physical abuse, I mean, that. not that this is harder, they're all horrible, but when you have psychological and verbal abuse, there are no abuses to show. Mm-hmm. And abusers are smart, so when they get out in the community, they are charming. Mm-hmm. And they're kind, and people think, oh, you're married to the most wonderful person. Mm-hmm. And they don't know, and so it's hard to get support outside of your four walls. Right. Yeah, because you know one of the statistics that I talked about is that what is it? His um, that most. Let me just how did they put that? Yeah, that most most of the domestic violences are never reported to the police, and um, you know, and and I think you just kind of touched up on some of the reasons that perhaps that is so. But but why do you think? Uh, or, or just can you speak to you know the phenomenon that's behind uh, the fact that most of it is not reported and not acted upon legally. Um, And so, you know, the the violence and the abuse perpetuates. Well, and I can, another part of my career, which which probably don't know, is I do a lot of litigation support work. Mm -hmm. So I'm hired by the court. I've been hired by the court in in divorces many times Mm -hmm. to evaluate the assets and to testify. And Mm -hmm. a lot of times by the judge, sometimes by one party or the other. So I've seen a lot of this. Mm-hmm. And the problem is, and I even experienced this in, in my divorce, during my divorce, when the cops are called, when the police are called and there's a domestic issue, okay, and they come to the household, if they don't see physical signs, they don't know who to believe. Yeah. They really don't. Yeah. And I, I get that. It's hard for them to know. It's a he said, she said. Right. And if they're screaming at each other, you know, they really, they really don't yeah. know them. And yeah. then what they do is separate them and try to get them to calm down. But, you know, and they and, and one of the things that I would tell anybody listening is that, you know, a restraining order um, is only as good as the paper it's written on. It does help. It right. does help. I mean, you do need to do it, but you need to be very aware that it, it might not. You still have to be careful. You still right. have to be really careful. And um, the police came to my house one time and wanted to take my daughter and let her go see her her father, and she didn't want to go because she's so afraid of him. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't his visitation. He was doing it to mess with me. Mm-hmm. And it was, and I, I just told the cops, I said, don't practice law. Mm-hmm. Don't be practicing law. Okay. <laughs> I have a, I have a restraining order. I have a visitation schedule. Don't tell me she's going. You can arrest me if you'd like, but she's not going. <laughs> yeah. And again, took courage to yep. 
<laughs> so take me to jail, but you're not taking her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, because I, I know I've had, uh, you know, of course, I'm, I'm an attorney, I never practiced in, in family law. But, you know, I have a, a better, a fuller appreciation of just kind of how the laws that are intended to protect can sometimes work against or, or just how, you know, they're only as good as the people who are enforcing them or trying to understand them. And like you said, a lot of people, it makes people uncomfortable, cops included, I believe, sure. what to do. But I, I just know I, I recall a situation where I was just at the local Starbucks, at, uh, Starbucks up the street from my home. I decided to go there and work for the day. There was a couple that was having a dispute. And, um, you know, I was paying attention, but not, but I could, you know, kind of see what was going on and could tell that, you know, the man was the aggressor, okay? Because uh, I don't know exactly what they were doing, but he had something of hers and she was trying to get it back and she had left. Uh, and he had been the aggressor the entire time, right? Sure. And yeah. you, could, you could tell by the way the, the, the dynamics were that he was the aggressor. Well, at some point, he called the cops on her. He called the cops on her uh, because she was trying to wrestle the papers from him and was defending herself. And so when the cops came, I'm like, okay, well, good. You know, I'm thinking they're getting ready to arrest him. Mm-hmm. They arrest her. Oh, no. And, uh, and, you know, and I sat there for a while and I knew just enough to know that the cops didn't have all the facts and just decided, I said, well, you know what, I'm not just going to sit here and, and watch this happen and, and not share at least what I know. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to come of it. But I went to the cop and I said, you know, I don't know what, what, what facts you have. But I sat here and watched the whole thing. He had been the aggressor the entire time. And that needs to be taken into account. Good. He, you know. That's awesome. And he said, you know, are you willing to write a statement? I'm like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And as a matter of fact, I know how to write one. I'm gonna right. Write. You know, and so I did. I wrote up, you know, my observation. And again, I don't know what happened before they got there. I don't know what the deal is. But. But the thing that really struck me and really compelled me to move was here in Georgia um, and in many states, they have a domestic relations, as they'll call it, uh, statute that basically anytime it's a husband and wife or domestic, or, yeah, husband or, or relative, uh, and you have um, a um, fight between the two of them, an altercation between the two of them. You know, it, it, it just takes it to a whole nother level. And it's intended to protect domestic violence victims. However, it can be used against them. And I think that, you know, my observation, again, on just how the dynamics played out in that context, the husband um, was using it against her. And he said, well, because they're married, we have we must arrest her. Oh, wow. And she hit him. And I said, well, that may be the case, but there's some other facts I think you need to know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and so anyway, I share all of that to say two things. Number one is, you know, this is happening to one in three, one out of three women. Yes. It's happening to somebody we know. Absolutely. Somebody we work with, somebody we're sitting in the church pew with. It's happening to people we know. And we can't close a blind eye to it. And certainly we can't just inject ourselves in the per- in people's personal situation. 
But where we have an opportunity to help or do something or provide resources or just be the person that someone can talk to so they feel like they 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 have somewhere to go right to do that and then the second thing is you know we've got to be advocates you know on the um, legislative side as well to make sure that there are first of all rules and and statutes in place that protect domestic violence uh, victims but that also that they're not used against them and like you say, the, the restraining order is only as good as the paper because the restraining orders are after the fact. Right. I, I mean, in, in terms of, of how it works, you can't just hold the paper up and it, and it stops, you know, the, the abuse. It is a legal mechanism to try to deal with it. But it's after the fact if, right. if the person chooses to violate it. So we've got to be a part of the solution and be a part of the resource. And even though it may not be happening to us personally, where we can provide support, we need to be able to do that. That's right. And I, and, and you you said it, having the courage to stand up when you see it and um, to say to people, let's say you're out with uh, a couple that you know, mm -hmm. and uh, the the one of the partners is being verbally abusive to the other partner, Okay to speak up and say, hey, that's not cool, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. No, no matter who it is, if it's the male or the female, say it's not cool. Or if it's a, you know, if it's a same-sex partner, whoever it is, right. say it, it, this should not happen, don't do it. And, and the one thing I know about abusers is that they're narcissists. Mm -hmm. And they really want to be seen as good people out in the public. And that's why calling them out on it will work if they're not violent. Now, some of them are violent and you may not change them, but the majority of them are not going to be violent. Mm -hmm. You know, majority of them are just mean bullies that have grown up, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So we've got to call them out on it. Right, right. And, and you know, and I think, because I've seen like a lot of uh, just discussion and particularly around, you know, the the topics that have been in the in the media as it relates to sexual assaults and and uh, which is a related issue in in terms of the dynamics and and some of even the the same stigmas in terms of not being reported to the police and why they are or not, but you know a lot of it has to do with what society accepts as as okay behavior as acceptable behavior, right. uh, because you know a, a lot of Cops don't want to get involved because, well, that's just that's between husband and wife. I don't want to get involved. But or or people, you know, as, and I never would forget this scene. And um, this is a highly dramatized scene, but it, it, it really um, it was very poignant for me in understanding the, the cultural acceptance, if you will, of domestic violence. One of my favorite movies is the Godfather series. OK. And I think this is Godfather one. Yeah. The first Godfather. Yeah. And they're sitting at the table and, you know, Sonny is the oldest and uh, son. And and then there's I, I can't remember her name right now. I mean, it's a sister. OK. Yeah. And whoever she's married to, he's abusive. Right. Mm -hmm. And so they get into um, an argument at the table. And the, the husband says something real mean and derogatory to the sister. And Sonny, the older brother, goes to correct him. And, and the mother says, no, don't interfere. And, um, and you know, so she stops the 
brother from from chastising the um, husband for basically being uh, verbally abusive to his wife at the dinner table. Wow, and, and I forgot so, that scene. Yeah, I always remember saying, "Don't interfere," you know, and and um and so that's kind of what happens a lot of times is when women are in a public situation sometimes or in a situation where others can intervene in some instances it's culturally acceptable uh, acceptable to just let it happen because we don't want to interfere you right know? and it's not my problem it's not my problem it's not my place it's you know and and that's between the two of them and you know and and certainly you know you have to respect the privacy of any relationship whether um, it's married or just a um, another other type of intimate relationship. But at some point, culturally, we've got to hold each other accountable. Especially people that you're related to, people that you know well. You know, the, mm-hmm. you know, if it if it happens to someone that I know well, or that mm-hmm. e- even if they're just an acquaintance, you know, mm-hmm. but I do know them, mm-hmm. I'll speak up about it mm-hmm. because. It really does stop it from at least for that person happening in public. Now, I don't know what happens behind closed doors. Yeah, yeah. But at least it stops it in public. And it might make them think about how that really looks, Mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. And they do care how they look. Most abusers are narcissists. Right, right. Right. So so let's kind of switch back to, um, you know, you know, your using, you know, your great example of what you were able to do to remove yourself from that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, literally kind of what were the steps you took? And, you know, you, you you stayed with it for 21 years. And I know that there were a lot of things that happened in that in that time period where you weren't just sitting around like, you know, I'm OK with it. But, you know, it's, it's a process because like you said, you have to build up your courage. Yeah. But, Take us through the steps of what you did and what other women can do to find that courage to be able to remove themselves from that violent situation. Okay. So I really, um, my ex-husband kept me so busy. Part of it was I didn't know what I didn't know, right? Mm-hmm. Part of it was that I was, um, I, I, I thought I'd made, I made a vow. I thought, mm-hmm. I, and I, I, I believe in my vows. Mm-hmm. I believe that I made a vow before God and others. Mm-hmm. So I felt like I couldn't leave the marriage. Mm-hmm. However, what I didn't realize is he broke it first mm-hmm. because he didn't love, honor, and cherish me ever. Yes. So when I finally realized that around the age of 40, when I got smart, <laughs> yeah. that's when I, what happened, something happened to me. When I turned 40, it was like something snapped. Mm-hmm. And I decided I am not taking this anymore. Mm-hmm. I've had enough. And even though he said he'd kill me and I do believe him, I'm not going to live in this anymore. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I wanted to be smart about it. Mm-hmm. And also the other thing that pushed me out the door is that I had a, I have a son and who at the time was 16 mm-hmm. and my daughter was 11 and I was watching my son start to turn into his father. Oh my gosh. And it was driving me crazy. He was starting to say, derogatory things to his sister Mm -hmm. to me he would sometimes smack his sister and then of course i would go off on him but Mm -hmm. those were learned behaviors yeah because children do what they see 
Yes, they emulate. You know, whoever the abuser is, and I'm not saying that all men are abusers, but the majority of the ones that we see are because they're bigger and they're stronger. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. But but in my scenario, when I talk about it, I'm talking about from my scenario. But since he was the abuser, <coughs> my son was turning into him, mm -hmm. was going to become him. And what I didn't know is that there really is a chain of abuse mm -hmm. and that that his father, my my ex-husband's father, was also abusive. I, I just never got to see it because it was behind his four, door, four walls, right. behind his closed doors. Right. And I didn't get to see that until much, much later. And not until I actually went through the divorce because my um, ex-father-in-law remarried and he abused his second wife. And then she told me about it anyway. So then I realized there, there really is a chain of abuse and I got out, thank goodness, just in time, mm -hmm. just in time. My son's okay, but he was so growing in that direction. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize how afraid my daughter was. So anyway, I wanted to protect them. I also did not want to be killed. So I was trying to do this safely. Right. I thought about it and thought about it, prayed about it a lot. And when I finally decided to make the move, so I, it was at 40 that I decided I got to figure out how to get out, mm -hmm. but I still didn't know how to do it, didn't know how to do it. But finally it came to me and I thought, this is what I'm going to do. I, and he had escalated to a point where he was getting physical with me. Mm -hmm. He had held a knife at my, in my throat in the kitchen in front of the kids one night. Mm -hmm. And I really, my son thought he was getting ready to kill me. So he was going to get the gun. Oh. So it, it had gotten very scary. Mm -hmm. So I thought, okay, I got to get out of this. How am I going to do it safely? Mm -hmm. That was my fear. How do I do this safely? Mm -hmm. So what I decided to do, because psychologically, I think this is important, and I would suggest this. I don't know if it worked for everybody, but it sure worked for me. Mm -hmm. I, I, we worked together. He actually worked for me mm -hmm. because he was vocationally homeless for so many years. He couldn't keep a job. Mm -hmm. So I thought it was kind of a win-win. It was a really dumb thing to do because then I got abused 24 hours a day. But anyway, another story. But yeah. So the day I left, the, um, I told him I wasn't going to work that Monday, that I was staying home. We had had a huge argument mm -hmm. um, that weekend. He had gotten very violent, and I had decided I was leaving on Monday, but he didn't know it. Mm -hmm. So he went, got dressed, got up, and went to work, and he said, you're not going to work, which he should have known that was a sign because I never did that unless I was deathly ill. Yeah. But I said, no, I'm staying home today. So he left. It was in the summertime, so my kids weren't in school. So I left him a note that said I wanted a six-month separation. Mm -hmm. And what I had done two days before that, without him knowing it, I had split the cash 50-50. Now, I had made it all, mm -hmm. but I split it 50-50. I'm being fair. Yeah. I took the kids, and I went to my sister's house. Mm -hmm. And I, I was fortunate that I knew the sheriff because I had helped him get elected. I was his campaign uh, treasurer. Mm -hmm. I knew the chief of police in our town because he was a client of mine. Mm -hmm. I called them both and said, I'm leaving, and here's why I'm leaving. He's very scary. He told me he'd kill me. If you get a call from the cell phone, it's serious. Mm -hmm. And I, even if you know them or not, I would suggest if women are afraid to let the police know. Yeah. So I did that. And then I left. I went to my sister's. We stayed there three months until the judge got him out of the house. He wouldn't leave voluntarily. Mm -hmm. And I knew my children needed to get back in their own home. They'd had enough and, and he really thought I was going through a six-month separation. I separated our business. I separated everything. Mm -hmm. and But I wasn't going back. I knew I wasn't going back because I knew the statistics. I knew that if I'd gone back, I might not have ever left alive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'm worried about that. And I'm worried about that with the kids. So I knew that when I made that decision, I had to make it for good. Right. 
Right. So I did, and he did over time um, get used to it. Uh, he didn't like it. He was very. He stalked me for a while, a long time. He would try to intimidate me. Um, a quick story: He came by the house. I, I had told him, "You can have every stick of furniture in the house except the kids' bedrooms. Mm -hmm. I don't care what you take. Mm -hmm. I just want you out of my life. I'll pay you for half the house. I'll, I'll, I don't want alimony." He mm -hmm. wanted. He wanted alimony. <laughs> anyway, uh, but. But uh, I just wanted him out. But he, it, it, but he would come over and he'd want things. One time he came over and wanted something out of the attic. And I said, yeah, you can go get it. And he came downstairs and he had a doubled up Walmart bag and he plopped it on the counter. And I said, what is that? And he said, shotgun shells. I said, what do you mean shotgun shells? I said, you don't hunt. And he got right up in my face, very mean. And he said, no, but I might. So it was, it got scary. But I knew by then that, it was just an intimidation factor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, it had been it had been five months that we'd been separated. He had not come after me, but I was smart about it. Mm -hmm. I, I was very aware of my surroundings. Yeah. I did it in a way where he had time to get used to it. Mm -hmm. So the six month separation thing was a good idea, you mm -hmm. know. So it ended up, and well, but the divorce uh, it took a year and a half to get divorced, and four and a half years to go through the property settlement, but. Mm -hmm. <laughs> But that's okay. I found happiness, and and I'm I, you know, the good thing is, is that I found happiness first in here, in myself. Yeah, yeah. You have to do that first. If you don't do the hard work inside and get happy here first, you'll never find happiness. Right. So I did right. that, and I went to therapy, and I read books. One of the good books that I read was Why Does He Do That? Mm -hmm. The the author is Lundy Bancroft. He's a fabulous man. He. He has, I'm sure, helped many, many people with the books that he's written. He helped me tremendously. He helped me pick Brent. Mm -hmm. He helped me figure out that he wasn't that kind of guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I did to get out. Yes. And it worked, thank goodness. Yes. And so, you know, there were kind of a, a couple of key things in there that I hope our audience is picking up on is, first of all, you had the financial resources to do it. And, right. and you know, you were able to think through financially uh, and unfortunately a lot of women aren't in that situation and have to do what you did without the finances right um, but you you got your your team together so to speak you know you you reached out to people you had fortunately you had somewhere and somebody to go to who would support you and you didn't just do this on your own or do this alone you know you you garnered your resources um, making sure that you made those connections and, and, and again, that's why we're talking about relationships, professional relationships that she had in the community beforehand were able to be to reinforce what she needed in a personal relation in a personal situation. So that's, that's why it's so important, you know, to build those relationships. And you had the relationship with your sister to be able uh, to have that support as well. And and you thought you thought through it like a CEO, you know. And I don't know if you were would characterize it that way as you were going through it. But Probably not. But <laughs> CEO about it, and you know. And again, that that's one of the reasons, uh, one of the themes, and 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 you know, I don't just say I want women to be the CEO of their lives because that sounds catchy. It truly is committing to using your education, your resources, your influences. To, to create the life you desire and deserve. And, you know, you came up with a plan, you were committed to getting your children and yourself out of that situation. 
you 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 built your team you know you made your your uh, important connections you you had that circle of influence um and then you executed that strategy and i was having a conversation with the client on yesterday about how because uh, we're dealing with a, a business issue but the thing i had to share is you know you got to get people out of their feelings get them focused on the facts so that you can get take care of business that's right and and you know that's one of the things that we have to do even our own personal lives and it's not being cold because business isn't cold business is based on relationships right but a lot of times you know we can't get out of our feelings or we are trapped by our emotions or the or trapped by our own minds because of the psychological um what i want to say not not because it's not always abuse in this situation is psychological abuse but just the like psychological a pull. Psychological pull. pull yes that we have the fear mm -hmm. i can't make it on my own what happens about this what happens about that and a lot of times you just gotta suck it up <laughs> and and um and do it do it afraid because i'm sure that you were afraid even oh. if you were committed <laughs> you oh, scared to death right you know but yeah, you do. And, and you know, it's funny. I've never thought of it that way, Stephanie, that I did. I really, yeah. I had to formulate a plan. Right. No matter how afraid I was, I right. had to think logically and formulate a plan. And right. I, I tell these young women that I speak to, you know, don't give up your career. Have a career. Yes. Your career. That's very, very important. It's very important to your viability and to your children's viability, mm -hmm. you know, to be able to take care of yourself. Right. And, and 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 you talked about financial abuse, and I'm sure that you talked about this. But one of the things that abusers do is they they try to separate you from the finances, right? And make it so you don't have any resources, because then you can't go. Right, right, or think you can. Right, or think you can. Think you can, and there's always a way. There's always <laughs> a way. I agree. I like that. <laughs> right, and and um, you know. Because, you know, I, I think about it because uh, we have similar parallels. Um, you know, I was in my marriage for 21 years. Very fortunate that I did not have to suffer with domestic violence. But nonetheless, it was a situation where I stayed in it for a much longer than I should have just because of the whole psychological things, thinking, you know, wanting to do things for my children, wanting to do this and that. And, you know, it just it just takes a plan. And you know fortunately and that and that's one of the things that you know i learned for myself and and share with my clients my coaching clients is that you know the same things that you are able to same skills you're able to use on your job to be so successful if you would just apply them in your own home you know in your personal life you know you can replicate the same type of success and a lot of times we detach ourselves away from the skills that we build every day you know you had your own business so and having your own business and even dealing with your clients you have a systematic way of going about things and you were able to use that skill to be able to um find the courage and and get yourself out of a, a, a personal situation and only when i became strong enough though right, right. but right. years for years i was strong at work like you said and weak at home, you know? I mean, I still did everything, but I was I didn't stand up for myself at home. But I certainly stood up for myself at work, and why I would allow that for so many years is just 
you know, it was uncanny until I got strong enough. Yeah. Wow. But when you did, mm-hmm. found your courage. You found. Oh yeah. And then I never looked back. Right. <laughs> and that's, um, you know, again, one of the things that, um, one of the reasons I'm so committed to helping women be the CEOs of their lives is, like you say, you you just you know uh, touched on it. Is many times as women we are advocates for everybody, but ourselves. Yeah. We are advocates for our children. We're advocates for the people we work with. We're advocates for our family, and in some cases, you know, we're literally advocates for our clients. Mm-hmm. When it comes to being an advocate for ourselves. You know, we don't we don't think that we're worthy of the same passion that we put into advocating for others. So that's something that, you know, that's what making CEO moves is all about, guys, you know, women, my guys. But, (laughs) you know, uh, but that's what making CEO moves is all about, creating your circles of influence. Yep. Because if you're going to do anything um, of this nature, protecting yourself and getting yourself out of a, a, a violent situation, you've got to have a circle of influence, people who you can rely upon, uh, elevating yeah, and empowering and educating, educating yourself so that you can elevate yourself. It, you know, learning what is out there for you, what do you do? Because there are a lot of resources for, for women uh, because there's so many people who are committed to this and, and like people like Christy, who's now, you know, telling her story, it raises awareness and people are more willing to help. And then uh, operationalizing what you learn so you can um, optimize your outcomes. You know, so it's it's it's, it's working through those CEO moves. And, right. and, and, and I just say real quick, make sure people know I don't want anybody to take me wrong because you you are so right. You do not have to have money to get out of a bad relationship. Yes. There are centers for nonviolence all over the country. There are hotlines. There are people that have finances that it can help you get back on your feet. So right. Don't stay and take it. There are places that you can go. Right. And and because uh, that was uh, as I was sharing at the end as we were closing out the financial series. That's why I spent so much time on finances because I know that when women don't have access to finances or don't know where to go, it keeps them in a lot of situations where otherwise, uh, you know, they would, they would move out of. And, um, and, you know, it's, it's important for us to empower ourselves. That's why we're making those CEO moves. Um, Cause you, you touched on something and I just wanted to use this as we, cause we've gotten to the end of the hour. I knew this conversation would get rolling and going, <laughs> but, <laughs> But because um, you, you mentioned, you know, one of the things that really prompted you was seeing your son begin to uh, uh, take on those characteristics. Here's something, another statistic about, uh, you know, uh, domestic violence. The majority of women, 70.8% who have experienced intimate partner violence said it was by one partner, by, while 20% were victimized by two partners and 8.3% were victimized by three or, or more partners. And I share that statistic is that it becomes a cycle because it becomes a learned behavior. Because mm. like you said, you share with the young girls, they don't know what they don't know. And a lot of times we don't know what's okay behavior and what's not. And I'll just share one little quick story um, about when I was in college 
uh, there was a guy I dated. We went out on a date. He was popular on campus, handsome guy, went out on a date. And I remember during the, um, the date, he jokingly said, ha, 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 I'm going to kick your ass. I mean, those were his, I mean, ha, ha, ha. And I'm like, something in my mind said, you know, he's serious and he'll do it. And that was the last date. That was, I was like, mm -mm, we're not going to play. Because there's certain things I'm like, mm, I'm not going to take a chance on playing around with. But fortunately, I had kind of been exposed to certain things to know that that wasn't okay behavior. That wasn't right to joke like that. Because those were literally his words. Right. And I'd like, oh, girl, you know, I mean, he said that to me and used those words and then put a joke on the end. And then uh, the unfortunate thing, though, is that one of my uh, friends later on, two or three years later, ended up dating him. And he was abusive in the relationship. He cut her off from all of um, all of her friends. Mm -hmm. And and, you know, and I was just like, wow. One, I felt guilty. I was like, well, wow, what could I have done differently to share with her my situation? Mm -hmm. But it reaffirmed in my mind is that I'm glad I did what I did, you know, and, and could, you know, could learn from that. So the, the thing I just want to close out on is, you know, the uh, um, you do a lot of work with young women. And I just want you to speak with speak to that a little bit more before we, again, highlight your book uh, and tell people where to be able to get a copy of that. Thank, Thank you. you. Well, the one is called Girl, You Deserve Better, where mm -hmm. I speak to it's really targeted more towards young women. Um, but I have spoken at all eight state universities in our state mm -hmm. and some of the junior colleges and other mm -hmm. places, girl mm -hmm. state and things like that. Mm -hmm. But um, it, it, I, I tell my message. They do want to hear my story, but mm -hmm. I also tell them what I've learned. And I tell them the things I didn't know was their age. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and, and what I've incorporated recently is the 15 signs of an abuser. And the very last one is the one you described, mm -hmm. one where they say they're going to kill you or they're going to hit you. And then they say, no, I really didn't mean it. I was just kidding. You know, that is that is a sign right there. Yeah. Uh, so so I, I've been doing that and I really feel like that is what I, I don't feel like. I know that's what God wants me to do. Mm -hmm. I didn't write this book by myself. He wrote it because yeah. I'm a CPA. I'm not nearly as interesting as this book is. So, <laughs> But anyway, uh, but that that's what I'm doing. The other kind of speeches that I'm getting into, I've done one with 250 athletes, but I want to do smaller groups. I want to go to football teams at mm -hmm. universities. And I'm starting in the spring with universities. And it's called Man Up. And it's mm -hmm. going to be a more interactive session where mm -hmm. they can download an app to their phone and answer questions anonymously mm -hmm. and feel safe. But I can ask things like, have you ever hit me one? Do you ever have, do you have these abusive tendencies I've just described? And, and I talk to them about, you know, manning up, not, not because I think they're all abusers. I don't, uh, as a more, I don't, I think the majority of them are not, but they can, they can call out those that they see that are, but they also can learn that at their young age, if they want to get help, they can get help because mm -hmm. you, you can change if you want to change. But you got to want to change. Right. Right. And so I, I, I talked to him about that. And then if that doesn't work, if it doesn't get their attention that I talk to him about what the right thing is to do, because mm -hmm. it's just the right thing to do. Then I talk about the Hall of Shame instead of the Hall of Fame mm -hmm. and all of those athletes who have lost endorsements and lost their careers because mm -hmm. they didn't do the right thing. Yes. So yes. that's my second speech. So. Yeah. 
Yes, because again, I, I just want to commend you on, on what you're doing because you're 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 tackling this for lack of a better, uh, a, probably a poor pun, but you were talking about athletes, but you're tackling this from two different areas. You know, one is helping young women to know what they don't know about the signs of abuse mm -hmm. and uh, and what love is, because you know we get a romanticized. Um, version of what love is but you know we don't really get um you know i there's nobody who really talks about well when love really isn't love right it's so important to help young women so they don't get themselves in that situation to begin with or they can help each other yeah and i think at the other end of the spectrum is helping men or helping young men who have learned that behavior to learn that that behavior is not okay. Right. Cause you know, we, we hear a lot, you know, boys will be boys, men will be men. And when we continue that type of rhetoric, we continue to endorse mm -hmm. that behavior and they don't learn that it's anything wrong with what they do, what they're doing. And so I think self-awareness, cause I've been you know, just doing a lot of reading and I'm, uh, I'm reading the new earth by, uh, Eckhart uh, Tolle, and and one of the things he talks about is ego and and being aware of of uh, of of certain things and and really understanding when your ego is acting as opposed to your your true self and and being able to make genuine decisions and but it all begins with awareness. Right. You don't know what you don't know, and until you're able to challenge that behavior in your own head, you won't be able to change. And so I think you're, you are doing very powerful work in, in it with this demographic in particular, because they are the future. Mm -hmm. And, and it's, it is um, wonderful to be able to bring awareness before it starts, because it's harder to extract right. you know, from a situation than it is to not get into one in the in the first place. And two quick things. These young women are thinking they can change. These men, you can't change someone who doesn't want to change, number one. Mm -hmm. And I want them to know that. And the other thing is, I went to a domestic violence conference recently, and mm -hmm. a man named Bobby Kipper has written a book called No Bullies. And for the first time, he said something that I'd never put together. Mm -hmm. He showed on the board the, the signs of it, a bully on the playground, whether they be in kindergarten or third grade or fourth grade or whatever. And then he showed the signs of an abuser and they matched. Oh, yeah. And I never thought, of, yeah. never thought of it. So, yeah. so that told me that we can even talk to younger mm -hmm. people. Right. Because it's all about helping people to deal with their anger and their, and their pain. Right. Um, um, one of the things I was just saying, you know, hurt people hurt people. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times when you look at profiles of abusers and bullies, they're very hurt people who have never learned how to deal with their hurt in a healthy manner. And they take it out on other people. Absolutely. Um, and so, you know, the thing that, that that's always difficult to deal with is you end up, you know, in these situations, you still have two broken people. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't excuse it. I'm not excusing it at all. Sure. What I'm saying is, you know, you, you have two broken people. You've got a broken pe person who's trying to fix their brokenness by breaking someone else. And then you've got the person who becomes broken mm -hmm. uh, as a result of that. So absolutely. It, it's all about 
you know, dealing with it uh, on both ends of the spectrum because, you know, like I say, you 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 got it uh, to where you you got it from both uh, both ends because it takes two. It takes women to recognize it, but it most importantly takes men to make the decision. I will not be an abuser and I will not act in that way, and I'm not going to support my friends who do so. Uh, well, thank you for helping me share the message because that's what I want to do. Well, awesome. Awesome. Well, again, I thank you so much. And um, I've mentioned your book, Courage, a couple of times. So why don't you tell everybody where they can get a copy of it? Let me sit it. <laughs> it's on Amazon. You can go to Amazon.com and get it there. And uh, so it's not a long read. I wrote it 180 pages because I felt like young men and women would not read more than that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yes. So anyway, but thank you, Stephanie. It's been wonderful and I appreciate it. You obviously get it. Yes. Well, thank you. Thank you. And, you know, I, I um, was so glad uh, to have an opportunity to get to meet you a couple of years ago. Glad to have reconnected this year and so grateful that you were able to join me here in the C-suite tonight. So thank you so much. And again, I celebrate you. I celebrate your courage and celebrate that you know this is you've made this more than just about you but you have empowered others and are changing lives with sharing your story and going beyond that with the work you're doing with um with the youth in in helping them to be a part of the solution so again i just celebrate you and thank you so much thank you for all you do all right and your website is girl you deserve better.com correct that's it GirlYouDeserveBetter.com. So you can go there and find out more about Christy and some of the work, great work that she's doing in the community. And remember to go to Amazon and get your copy of Courage. Because I've started. I haven't finished it yet. <laughs> uh, and, and not because it's not interesting, just because I didn't get to the end. I was trying my best to make it. It is awesome. It is awesome. So, again, thank you so much. I really appreciate you. Thanks. All right. Well, Bye-bye. until next time, I'll see you. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining me here in the C-suite. It has been an awesome. I told you this would be a powerful conversation. And I'm so grateful that we had the opportunity to to kick off our relationship series with the powerhouse Christy Pickering. And, you know, this episode was brought to you by C-Suite Women's Network. And C-Suite Women's Network offers professional and personal leadership development, strategic planning, and organizational and performance excellence strategies. There you can develop your excellence through training, coaching, and accountability support for your goal execution. The mission as C-Suite Women's Network is to help women to be the CEOs of their lives, to use their education, experiences, and influence to create the lives they desire and deserve. So in order to be this better CEO of your life, you can, well, when you are a better CEO of your life, you can be a better CEO of your business. So go over to www.discovertheceoinyou.com. That's www.discovertheceoinyou.com to schedule your strategy session. So It is time for us to leave the C-suite, and we hope that while you were here, you indeed felt something, learned something, but most of all, you got to do something. Make those CEO moves, create circles of influence, educate and empower yourselves for elevation, 
and operationalize what you learned to optimize your outcome. Remember, whether you report to a CEO or you are the CEO of a company, you always are the CEO of your life. So make sure that you are not just talking about it, but be about it because the power is not in the conversation, but in your CEO moves. So don't wait because remember, weight broke the scale. Now is the best time to do what you know needs to be done. And as I always share with you, your life is the product of your choices. Choose to be the CEO of your life. Until next time, I am Dr. Stephanie D. Barnes, your host of Conversations from the C-Suite, The Girlfriend's Guide to Being a CEO. And I look forward to seeing you in the C-Suite next time. And remember, for previous episodes, you can go to www.csweetwomen.tv. That's csweetwomen.tv to catch up on all of the great, powerful conversations that we've had up until this point. Thanks a lot and see you next time.